0: Now it is 9 a.m. Uh, the mopping corridors, um, uh, Sarah rather, I should say, is mopping corridors uh, of the college where she works, right? And the students are arriving for their day as Sarah mops the corridors there, uh, as they do each week, right? And Sarah, Sarah looks at them very longingly. Uh, she's wishing she could be. One day she could be like them. She could have an education that they have uh, to wear nice clothes and even perhaps to put on on a bit of uh, makeup. But all this for Sarah seems like a distant reality. Because Sarah, you see, has already been at work since 6 a.m. in the morning and she won't finish until 11 p.m. without any break in between. And she won't see any penny for the hard work that she's putting in. Well, the reason why that is is because Sarah is a victim, you see, of modern slavery. Every day, she works in full view of teachers, students, and the admin staff at the school, but no one knows she's a slave. And Sarah is not going to say anything, and she has actually been taught that if she says anything, she's going to be killed. Uh, So she's living a life now where she's completely trapped here in the UK. She is living in a free country as a slave. And sadly, Sarah actually is only one of 13,000 people under modern slavery in the UK. And the only reason we know about Sarah's case is because last year... Uh, she, she told her story to the Victoria Derbyshire program on the BBC where she, she, she was able to share the plight of our slavery. And Sarah's terrible situation, uh, as I thought about it, reminds us that not all slavery is visible. The college where she works has no idea that she's wearing invisible handcuffs, that she's a slave. And yet, as heartbreaking as Sarah's situation is, there is something even more worse than modern slavery. And that is to be enslaved by satanic powers. The Bible teaches us that Satan is holding all human beings in an invisible spiritual cage. Yes, we look at people from the outside, they look, they are free. They are living in a free society. But the truth is, like Sarah, they are actually imprisoned. We are currently exploring verse by verse the book of Mark and we are now in Mark 35. In Mark 35 this is sermon number 38. We are currently in Mark there. As you know Mark is one of the eyewitness accounts of the Lord Jesus Christ and if you were here last Sunday evening you remember that Jesus was stealing the storm on the sea. Well, that's where we left him with the disciples. The, the seers come, that's the end of chapter 4. Jesus has spoken as God to steal the stone. Well, the boat that is carrying Jesus has now arrived on the other side of, it, of, of the sea. And Jesus is about to have one of the most famous encounters in all of Scripture. It is in chapter in verse 1 to verse 20 which we look at. And as I said... He's now entering this land of the garrisons to to encounter these satanic forces. And we'll look at these over three messages, as I've said. So this morning, as I said, verse 1 to 6, this morning, very much an introduction to what's going on. And this evening, we'll look at the heart, perhaps, of the message uh, from verse 6 to verse 13. And next week, we'll conclude uh, from verse 14 to verse 20. If you think about these messages in three, they would have three titles. The message this morning is the slavery of man. The message this afternoon is the liberation of man. And the message next week is the restoration of man. So, this morning, the main truth I want us to see here from this is that all human beings are hopelessly enslaved by satanic powers. Just one point. All human beings, by default, are hopelessly enslaved by satanic powers. Look at me at this 1 there. Now we don't know how long it's taken Jesus to get here, right? He left in the evening actually on the other side. We don't know how long he has been at the sea and how long it's taken for them to arrive now on the other side. But they've made it to the region of the garrisons. Uh, it is on the eastern shore, so Galilee there the land, the big lake in the middle, of the sea, and they're on the eastern shore of Galilee, look at this one, and they came to the other side uh, of, the, of the Sea of Galilee, they, they came to the other side of the Sea, the Sea of Galilee, to the country of the Gerasenes. Uh, so the area where they are is called Decapolis, it is a uh, ten cities, really an area made up of ten cities. And where Jesus has landed, the nearby village, uh, is, is probably Gadara. But there is also Gejessa and also there is Geressa. So there are a number of villages. We think it's probably somewhere near the village of Gadara. The important thing you need to realize here is that we are now in predominantly Gentile country. This is an area of mostly of non-Jews. And Mark now, like a wonderful film director that he is, he he switches his camera. As Jesus is pulling up, he switches his camera actually to a creature running in a nearby cemetery. And as the camera zooms in on this creature, we can see actually that this creature looks like a man. He's human. And we can imagine this man is howling, you know, with shrieking noises. Uh, He has wounds all over his body. And the the, the flies, perhaps, buzzing all around him. Uh, He's wild, naked, and sickening to look at. And we pose ourselves as we look at Mark's video being played, and we wonder how has he become like this? Well, Mark says the man actually is a slave of deadly satanic forces that are now living deep inside of him. Let's read on, verse two, two. The first part of verse three. Here is how Mark describes it. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately they met him out of the tombs in this graveyard, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. Let's just suppose they are not here that Satan has taken a man who lives in a village, and has driven him into a graveyard to live among the dead. And he has made this man become almost like a ferocious, very Darwinian, ferocious animal, wild animal that cannot be chained. A sort of incredible type figure, really. L- look at this. Let's read on this. This man, the 3 says, he lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore. He has Samson type powers. Not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart. And he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to bind him. So he's living like this wild creature. And he's living a very filthy life. A lonely life. A painful existence. This man is a danger... Not only to, himself, to, to other people, but actually it's a danger to himself. Because we see in verse 5, as he's there, he's even mutilating his own flesh. Look at verse 5. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. I wonder for you, as you look at this man, as you picture him in your mind, What has he said to you about this man? I think the first thing he says to me is that this man here is a human billboard displaying what Satan plans for all of us. This man is inhabited by demonic forces and Satan's goal is to erase, if he can, the very image of God from all of us as he's doing to this man. In recent years there has been a rise uh, in the UK especially among young women uh, flirting with satanic powers. The Daily Telegraph last year did an article on this and here is a quote from the Daily Telegraph. Uh, it says this, it says, Witchcraft is becoming more and more fashionable with thousands of young women picking up the ancient craft and learning spells in bedrooms across the country. One theory is that the Harry Potter generation has found real spell books, perhaps online. But really, the truth is that many of them see it as a form of mindfulness. It is more interesting than yoga, the article went on to say. This is the UK, 2019. And it is not just witchcraft now people are into Many people in the UK are increasingly turning to mediums and psychics in search of happiness. I'm always struck as I drive down to drop off my daughter to Old Bexley, I pass through the pub down there called the the Anchor, I think. And it's very interesting that nearly every month they hold what are called psychic nights, where you can go in and, and, and get in touch with psychics and mediums. We have a whole host of television channels now, actually, you can turn on any channel in the evening, and you find they're just dedicated to contacting the dead. Now we may laugh at that and we may think, well, they're just having a bit of fun. But we are seeing here, isn't it, that satanic powers are real. And one of the tragedies, actually, particularly for young women, it seems to be a problem that you get for the young men in general, but actually globally as well, because we see, I think, part of the reason is music stars. Because when we think of music stars like Beyoncé, we think of Lady Gaga, we think of Ariane Grant, we think of Keisha, it is impossible to watch many of their videos without seeing them depict explicitly satanic images. The Grammy Awards last year were known for that. Where, where, where the celebration of Satan was so present there. And a lot of things online, like Good Fight Ministries and others, document these things for us. As parents, you must be aware of these things, especially parents with young women. I'm just going by the stats, with young girls. Satanic powers, you see, in popular culture, are now presented as neutral. When you hear Aaron Grant being interviewed about you know, contacting the dead and other things, she sort of presents it as a sort of exact, exotic side of herself, something that just is there to provide a bit of balance, to make our life more interesting. And of course, it comes from this idea, Eastern idea, of where evil and good are sort of balancing forces. And many people in the world are tapping into this thing. Well, let us be clear for ourselves here this morning. The devil is not your friend. Neither is he a fiction of the imagination. It's real. And interesting enough, many people know that there, there is a spiritual realm because many people in the country, a lot of them believe in ghosts. The issue here is not the debate of the existence of evil. Many people are aware of it. The problem is that many of us, increasingly in our society, are comfortable with Satan. And the Bible is clear, reminding us that the devil is not your friend. His only goal is the destruction of your soul and he won't rest until he does it. Without exception. The Lord Jesus says in John 10 verse 10, the fifth only comes to kill, to steal, kill and destroy. And as we see here in Mark, Satan has a legion of demons or fallen angels. And these satanic powers enslave people by inhabiting and controlling them. And if you are with us, last year you know we did 14 studies um, in the Bible study just looking at this issue. I'll simply say to you without repeating much of what we had learned over 14 weeks is that first of all not everyone is demonized, okay? But make no mistake. There are people right in this world, right in this area, even people that you may know, that may very well be, are being animated by satanic powers. Just like this tomb man here. This wild creature we have met. And some of the symptoms of the demonized are, are here for us in the scriptures. Here we see, look at verse 3 again, verse 3, to 5. He says, he lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. You could study this for yourself and the whole narrative, you notice some of the things some of the marks of the demonic are superhuman strength. People that are small and can do all of a sudden exhibit massive superhuman strength and explain. Deep societal tendencies, marks of the demonic. Later on we we'll see that the demonic seem to have a third high. They can know things about people that you don't expect them to know. Now, of course, it goes without saying that, and that, that first of all, there are many other men that are demonized. You can read them in scripture. That's point number one. This is just some of just flagged up. But also, it's worth knowing that not, not all people who are demonized, is, as well, would. Or would, would. Well, let me put it this way not everybody who exhibits some of those tendencies is necessarily demonized. Uh, there are some people that want to take their own life. It doesn't mean they're. Demonized, they, they, they may just have deep medical problems. But what we need to be aware of here is that what Mark is teaching us here, the point he wants us to understand is that one way Satan enslaves human beings is through demonization. What that suggests to me is this. I have somebody who comes to me and says, I, I'm just. I want to take my own life. As a believer, I can't rule out a demonic element. So prayer must become now a priority for them. Even as I try and seek other ways to help them medically, take them to hospital and so forth, have them mentally examined. It allows us sis, to be aware of this or element. A young lady, 30, as I said last week, probably, or two weeks ago, 37% of young ladies, young, between the age of 13 to 16, young women, uh, are, are self-harm in, 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 in this country, right? Um, self-harm, yeah. 37%, right? Those are statistics. I'm not saying, none of them may, perhaps are demonics, right? But being aware of some of the symptoms of the demonic allows you then to ensure that you approach that situation of self-harming with prayer as well as seeking medical help in other way. Okay? That's why it's important for you as a Christian, if you're listening to this you say, well, I'm a believer, I'm not demonized, what's the big deal? Well, actually it's a big deal because God has placed you in this world and you need to be aware of this and you need to engage with what the scripture is telling you here. Because you see, one way in which Satan enslaves people is through this demonization. The other important thing that Mark wants us to see here is that this demonized man really uh, he stands as a symbol for all human beings in their natural condition. Mark wants you to look at this man and not simply say, what a wild creature he is from sort of some scary movie. He wants you to look at this man and say, That is me without Jesus. That is me in my natural condition. Because you see, what the satanic powers have done to this man reveals four things that evil has done to us since we rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden. Four things, you can write them down. The first thing that this shows us, that evil has stolen our life with God. Evil has stolen our life with God. Look at this. There's two there. And when Jesus had stepped out of the tomb, immediately there made him out of the tombs, a man with the unclean spirit. Notice here that this, this, the, the, the demons have cut him off, cut this man off from the life of God. And they've symbolically placed him in a graveyard to show that he's now completely dead. There is no life of God now in him. We might even say that his soul is no different from the graveyard that he now calls home. In the same way, all of us, by nature, are cut off from God because of sin. We too are dead people living actually in a graveyard. Do you realize this world is a graveyard? It is a graveyard because the Bible says in Second Peter chapter three, "The world is being stored up, ready to be burned." Just like these two men, we are walking in a graveyard. <laughs> evil has stolen our life with God. Secondly, we see here that evil has stolen our physical bodies. The satanic powers here control this man's body to the extent, as we'll see, we'll we'll find out later that this man is now walking around naked. Make no mistake that she's not clothed at the moment. And that's a statement that Satan is putting out on this man I own your body. And in the same way, all of us by nature are slaves of our bodies. Uh, This is a point close to home, isn't it, for myself. Because many of us are walking symbols of having no control over what we eat. Many are the addictions that we have in our lives. By nature, we are slaves to our appetites, our bodies. Thirdly, evil has stolen our minds. Look at verse 5. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. The satanic powers have so completely taken away his mind that this man is tormented and, and is become completely suicidal. And as I thought about this man, I thought we only need to look at our own lives all around us to agree with what the Bible says. Evil has made all of us completely foolish. In our sinful nature we cannot think right. Well, turn with me to Romans chapter 1, verse 21 to verse 27, which summarizes the state we are in. Romans chapter 1, verse 21 to verse 27. This shows us how Satan has stolen our minds. Paul says this, Romans chapter 1, verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. For they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, and birds, and animals, and creeping things. Do you notice here, they became wild creatures, just like a tomb man. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in the last of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to his dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Satan steals our minds. We become subhuman. We become wild creatures. Finally, Satan has also not only stolen our minds, but also stolen our life with others. We see that we flip back to Mark 5, but keep your finger on Romans. We'll come back to that in a moment. We see that in verse 3 to 4 of Mark chapter 5, it says, "Yeah, and no one could he lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces." No one had the strength to subdue him. The picture is that this man no longer lives with his community. He is at war with people who want him banned. And in the same way, since Cain killed Abel, the evil in us has been working to destroy all human relationships. That is why there is no relationship without God at the heart, at least in one or two people involved. That can truly work as God intended. Evil kills community. Romans chapter 1 verse 28. Let's flick back to Romans again. Let's continue to verse 28. Do we see this evidence in Romans 1 verse 28? And since they did did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. This is how they lived. This is how people live. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murdering one another, strife, deceit, maliciousness. This is all relational sins. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil disobedient to parents the family is broken down foolish faithless heartless ruthless Poor a large dictionary on the hand i think <laughs> though they did not know gods though though they know gods decree that those who practice such things deserve to die they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them they are slaves they can't help but live like this. This, so we flip back to Mark, chapter 5. The, the, so when we look at this man there, we, should, we see that this man here in the, among the tombs is our is is mirror, isn't it? God wants us to look at this man and say, yes, this is me in my natural fallen confusion, so to speak. A life of utter, utter slavery to evil. As the Puritan Richard Sibbes put it, the heart of man is like a dungeon, where nothing is seen but aura and confusion. And the truth of the matter is that as we sit here this morning, all of us sense this slavery. All of us do. We sense that we are somehow not free. I don't just mean that we have lost track of Brexit, that we are not in control. We sense that in every area of our lives, we are somehow not free. And in some way, everything you do in your life, you're trying to save yourself. To end the pain in some way, numbing, find meaning, purpose, fulfillment in life. And some are searching for this in family, having a great family here, And they hope they can escape the pains, other pains of life by having a good family. Others are looking for it in good health, right? If they uh, just gym up and have a good health, that life would be great. Others are looking for happiness in hobbies, right? Uh, others are fighting pain through therapy. They recognize the pain, they can't escape it. So nowadays the answer is, is therapy. Uh, that you may have found out the musician Ara Kelly has been in the news a bit because uh, he's been up to, be to terrible things. Do you know what the answer is for some people for how to help Ara Kelly? Uh, you know, deal with his pedophilia, alleged pedophilia, as they've called it by some. Therapy. in his help, they have to be given therapy that will help you. So some people's answer is therapy. Others, of course, turn to mindfulness and other things. Others are in search of UFOs, and they're hoping if UFOs arrive, they will carry sort of some new technology that will finally save us and deliver us. Some are looking to science, isn't it? Rationalism. The, the rationalism is what they see as scientism, rather. They, 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 want, they think that science has all the answers, and if we can just become more scientific, then our life will end. Our life will become better, rather, sorry. In fact, our life doesn't become better because it's already ended. Because none of these things can give us what can free us from this slavery. Our problem is much bigger than knowing facts, it is a real slavery to Satan. That is our problem. And deep down in our hearts, we know nothing satisfies us because we are slaves, just like Sarah, who we met earlier. We have tried and are still trying everything. The only person who can free us from our slavery will meet him this evening. But he's here in verse six already for us. And his name is Jesus. Let's read verse six. Verse six says, and when is this man, right, verse five says, Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And verse six says, and when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. You know, Sarah, right? Oh, I said at the beginning she was enslaved at the age of 16. And the man who enslaved her was a man who had married her. He married her in in the country where she comes from. And a few days later, he trafficked her into the UK at the age of 16. And she lived as a slave for 20 years in this country. And over the years, she developed arthritis from hard labor. Her feet had become swollen and bloody. She was no longer able to walk. Uh, but thank God that a friend eventually helped her to contact the home office. And the home office did a great job. They moved her into a safe house. And the Salvation Army, those wonderful people, stepped in as well. They gave this woman a new start in life. What the Home Office and the Salvation Army did for Sarah is what Jesus has come to do for each one of us. He offers to move you into a spiritual safe house and give you a new life. And the satanic powers understand this, that Jesus can do this. Because notice here in verse 6, as soon as they see Jesus, how do they react? Look at that verse. They fell down before him. Do you know the original phrase for that word, they fell down before him, converts reverence, worship. They are recognizing that Jesus they are standing in front of is their creator God. And this late this afternoon, we shall see how Jesus deals with them decisively and liberates this man. And Jesus will do that because, you see, the good news of Jesus is that Jesus is God coming to live under our slavery and he lives under our slavery and takes on our slavery as it were and he takes our slavery to the cross and he dies on the cross for your sins and mine and he breaks those chains these are spiritual chains of darkness he, he sets us free Jesus does that the cross of Jesus can set you free from sin from this slavery to Satan the question For you, that Jesus is asking is this. Are you coming with me? Like the friend said to to Sarah. You can be free. Are Are you coming with me? That's what Jesus is saying. Are you willing to come with me to the spiritual self house? Because you see, because Jesus has come, there's no excuse to live under satanic slavery. You can be free right now forever. You can have your sins forgiven. You can live under his care and protection. And the question is, will you surrender to Jesus? Or do you want to remain in a spiritual cage under Satan? You have to surrender to Jesus. But you see, true surrender to Jesus is not easy. Remember what I said about what sin has done? It's corrupted our minds. Evil has infected our entire being that we may hear sermon after sermon after sermon and we still want to cling on to Satan's jacket. Our slave, mat- our slave master, we still want to cling on to him. Jesus is saying freedom is here, but we still want to stay slaves. It's like sort of Stockholm Syndrome, isn't it? Where people fall in love with their captors. Sin does that to us. And I've seen people, they can say verbally that. So it's, it's because of sin, we can say verbally, I surrender to Jesus, but we may do it without any real deep conviction. Children are often like this. Having a daughter here is me to see. Daughter, my daughter often says that she's, she's sorry about something. But of course, tomorrow she'll just repeat it and do it. And of course, I remember she didn't really mean it, right? So many of us are like that. We may surrender, but without real meaning it. We may surrender to Jesus, but only because we want other people to like us. And often this happens. I've seen this danger of family religion. And so, for example, I, was speaking, I, was, I had a story this week of, of, of a man who's thinking of trusting Christ, uh, apparently, and the wife said, she doesn't trust in Jesus, says, it would be so easy for me to trust in Christ if the man did it, if my husband did it. She's waiting for the husband to repent before she then repents and trusts Jesus. And of course, there's no repentance. Many of us have what I call a surrogate faith. It's a danger for husbands and wives. Because the, the, the wife may have true spirituality, but the husband just clings on in the name of Jesus. He has no real faith in him. I, I don't want to pick on husbands. It's the same thing for wives as well. So each of us has to ask ourselves, is my trust in Jesus my own? It's very easy to see where people come in pairs. So so you must ask yourself, do I have an individual trust in Jesus? Have I truly repented on my own? Is my faith my mother's or my own? Is my trust in Jesus my husband's or my own? Is my trust in Jesus my own or my child's? True surrender in Jesus means you must Come to him on your own. Admit you are living in darkness. And ask Jesus to set you free by his death on the cross. For you, friend. For you. Not for for the other person in your life. It is you coming to put your full weight on Jesus. Leaning on his cross. Ask him to set you free. And he will do it. He will give you a new heart by his spirit. And I want to ask you, do you know something of this individual trust in Jesus? Have you truly been delivered from satanic powers or are you just clinging on to Jesus because of family religion? Have you been individually brought into the kingdom of God? Is your faith your own? Well if you have, be thankful for God delivering you for breaking those chains of darkness. I'm bringing you into His safe house. And how do we thank you? Well, I'd like to suggest that one crucial way we thank Jesus for giving us freedom is to go tell others about it. Do you know when Sarah was rescued, she was afraid to leave the safe house at the home office, which the home office had set up. You know, she was so scared that traffickers would somehow find her. But eventually, after a few days, weeks, she dawned on her that she was really truly free. And she said, I started to breathe again. And of course, she wanted others to know about her experience. That's how we know Sarah's story. She knew there were 13,000 other people enslaved. And she wanted them to hear the story. And that's how she spoke to the Victoria Debshire program. And as I thought about that woman, I said the same is true for those who have entered Jesus' spiritual safe house. You know, when you know the ugliness of sin, when you know the slavery of Satan, you want to let other people know about how ugly it is, and you want to see them set free. We want others to know the field of living under slavery of Satan. We want to have this amazing freedom that Jesus gave. We want others in our lives to have it. I just want to be honest, beloved. I have serious, serious doubts about the faith of anyone who claims they have been set free by Jesus but have no passion to see others set free from Satan's clutches. I seriously doubt that person has experienced true freedom deliverance from Satan, Or they are even aware of what they have been delivered from. The true mark of those set free in any realm of life, is that they are passionate. They treasure the freedom. the treasure freedom. So this morning, if God has truly set you free, well, first of all, if you claim to be free, ask yourself, do I have the mark of the freed? Do I have this fruit of the freed? And and if you have... glimmers of that mark. You've seen some signs of it. Praise the Lord. But ask God to help you grow that passion. Be more intentional in seeing people set free. Ask God to help you live in such a way, such an attractive life before others uh, that that they would see Jesus in you and they would want to know, here is the person who has been freed and they would want to know more and more about you and, and what Jesus has done in your life. I know God is always going to save those he wants to save. His arm is not too short to save. But, friends, what does he say about the, the authenticity of your conversion if you have no passion to set sinners free? I know what he says. He says it's not there. It's not there. He's saying, if you were once passionate, see from the height you are falling. We have the most urgent message. Jesus sets sinners free it's fantastic man is enslaved by Satan and Jesus has come to set sinners free it's wonderful and if we're in Christ we know we have been set free no matter what's going on and that excites us so let us share this amazing message of a Jesus who sets sinners free and let us bask in this freedom Well, let us come this evening we hear just how The amazing thing that Jesus has done. How he sets this man free as we explore verse 6 to verse 13 together. Amen.